Sound the alarm. We've got a big, big, big dose of EdTech Trends for you, and we're serving them up on a silver platter. It's a beautiful website. On Wednesday, EdSurge launched the first round of our EdTech 2016 Trends Report, sponsored by AT&T Aspire. Unlike those trend articles that pop up around December 31st when people share their guesses about what will be big in the new year, we talked to 20 administrators, 17 teachers, 24 companies, 16 investors, and 16 other EdTech voices to figure out what are people thinking and planning around right now. That's a lot of numbers. We'll dive deeper into the report later on in this podcast with a couple of sound bites from some key commentators. But an FYI, we have eight trends in the report. However, for the sake of this podcast, we're focusing on one big theme, and one that we hear about a lot. What's the benefit of free products versus freemium versus license? Think about those products that when you get a part for free, you still have to pay for the other features, or products that you just have to pay for to use entirely. We'll get into that and more all right after the news. I'm Blake Montgomery. And I'm Mary Jo Matta. Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast. Let's get started. Last week, Curriculate introduced users to a new subscription service for an on-demand digital library of books. It includes new multimedia elements to gauge student comprehension. The new features give students more power over choosing what they read, but the company is also removing some teacher features that power users loved. Teachers are mourning the free features especially. There's also a new pricing model as well. Curriculate, it seems, is feeling growing pains as it goes more freemium than free. The Department of Education's push to expand Open Educational Resources, or OERs, is gaining momentum. Back in October of 2015, the #GoOpen initiative kicked off with 10 school districts pledging to use OERs during the 2016 to 2017 school year. At a February 26th event, the Education Department announced significant additions to the Go Open family, such as an online tool to help guide education leaders through their decision-making process, and also mentioned that there are 13 new partner states. Speaking of open, in last week's newsletter, we wrote that the White House released an, quote, open online library app, end quote. Technically, the app is not open because its library is primarily composed of copyrighted materials. Uh, that's our bad. On that note, though, how do you feel about the app being called Open eBooks? Tweet at us at EdSurge to let us know what open means to you. Leap Innovations in Chicago has spent more than a year working with 15 schools and six EdTech products on a report titled Finding What Works. It was a project that involved more than 1,600 students from across Chicago. Their thoughtful admonition on success? Any success depends heavily on the practices that a school community puts in place as it begins to use a tool. Leap spotlights two literacy tools that have statistically relevant results, Think Circa and Lexia Reading Core 5. In particular, the researchers found that low-income students taking part in personalized learning closed the achievement gap by 45%, nearly closing the gap for black students and more than closing the gap for Hispanic students. And what did they not approve of? Well, station rotations. It's better to do one-to-one, the report says. When do students cross the line between asking for help and outright cheating? An op-ed on Medium examines the blurred lines created by on-demand tutoring services like StudyPool. 
The larger question, asks writer Doug Beerend, is how or whether the edtech industry should lay strict rules to ensure that tutoring marketplaces don't simply become pay-for-answer services. Community college students and remedial math courses uh, have the odds stacked against them. Only 27% of them go on to earn a bachelor's degree, according to research from the Department of Education. To help, on March 2nd, Cengage Learning unveiled a product directly targeting community college learners in remediation courses. The new tool, called MindTap Math Foundations, breaks lessons into 15-minute learning bursts that students can access by phone, tablet, or computer. In a survey of 822 pre-kindergarten educators, nearly 88% report using technology in their classroom at least once a week. 65% use it daily. The survey, commissioned by Teaching Strategies, examines teachers' attitudes toward tech tools. Instructional use, documentation, and assessment are the most popular use cases. By far, tablets are the most popular device, with nearly 80% saying that they are the most effective one in their classrooms. Desktop computers clock in at 51% and second place, and digital cameras are actually in third place at 46% of classrooms. And now it's time for nothing. We have no kachings this week. Is the EdTech bubble bursting? We don't know. Tune in next week to see who's gotten funded, acquired, or may have folded. So we had something big happen on EdSurge this week, as we mentioned before. So EdSurge has embarked on a year-long project, the State of EdTech, which is supported by AT&T Aspire. We've been chronicling the most powerful trends in education technology through a number of lenses, entrepreneurs, investors, educators, and school administrators. Now, we've just released Chapter 1 chronicling eight trends, and we're itching to hear how important each one is to your daily lives. But one trend in particular is pertinent to the recent big news that the White House launched a free ebooks app for Title I and special education teachers. Here's Michelle Obama herself sharing the news. Do you remember a book that you loved as a child? A favorite story that ignited your imagination? For so many of us, books opened our minds to a world of possibility. Unfortunately, right now, millions of children in America don't have that chance because they don't have adequate access to the books they need to learn and dream. The new Open eBooks app will help change that because thanks to Open eBooks, thousands of popular and award-winning titles are now available free of charge for young people who need them, whether they're on a military base overseas or in your neighborhood here at home. So if you're a librarian, an educator, or a caregiver working with kids in need, Visit openebooks.net today to learn more about the program and see how you can help bring a love of reading to our young people. Thanks so much. Now let's discuss this concept of free. Why would I pay for products when there are so many free ones out there? That's a really good question, Blake, but let's think about what actually means free in the edtech world for a second. So first off, there's open education resources, or OERs for short. These tools are free, they're remixable, and they're available to anybody with a browser and a Wi-Fi connection. They're powerful, and according to governments and social activists, they're really a basic right. And then there are nonprofits like CK12 and Khan Academy. 
Some nonprofit organizations are putting the same kind of thought and muscle into building their tools and curriculum as companies do. But then they just give them away. And so that brings us to part of our main topic, this concept of freemium, which is like free and premium mixed together. So some companies have offered their tools a curriculum, a limited version, for free without the ability to remix the content. But increasingly, savvy educators recognize that there's a cost. You know, some companies aim to coax users to pay up eventually for premium accounts. So let's think about these guys for a second. Even those that have yet to introduce their premium account will eventually do so, including the likes of Edmodo, ClassDojo, and Remind. As these companies grow older, well, the pressure to generate revenue will continue to grow, and it'll likely limit how much free stuff they can continue to provide. So what does this mean for their business models? Let's talk to Matt Hansen for a second. He's a partner at GSV Capital, and he has an interesting take on this. The freemium model proliferated in a much looser funding environment. From a venture capital standpoint, you've seen in the last four weeks alone that we are in the part of the funding cycle where terms and funding conditions have tightened considerably. As more companies built around the sell-to-administrators approach aim to drive revenue from the moment they launch, the freemium model might be harder to pitch to investors going forward. Matt Hansen is also a little skeptical of anything that's completely free because of recent issues in the privacy debate. As schools and parents become savvier about student data privacy, there has been increased scrutiny of free applications. After all, as Taylor Smith of Tucker Capital says, if a teacher pays for an app, they understand how it works. But if it's free, educators are looking around the corner to understand if there's an ulterior motive. Now, companies with free products, there is still hope, if you're still listening. According to Bill Fitzgerald, who works at Common Sense Media, free isn't so bad if companies have good privacy practices. Being a good actor means you're committing yourself to a series of day-to-day actions and to a mindset that permeates every single decision that you make within the company. One example, you know, make, you make sure you have a breach notification in your privacy terms. And then if and when you have a breach, you report it honestly and accurately. You have good, you know, good user-facing security. You have good internal security. You have your legal team review your privacy terms. You have your engineers review, review your privacy terms and report back to management. You, know, you have internal working documentation so your staff gets privacy training. A lot of these things are invisible. None of them are glamorous, but all of them are critical. And it's the sum total of those things that constitutes what we call good practice. Okay, I see what he's saying, but those recommendations really could relate to any product, not just the free ones. They're important points nonetheless. Yeah, I'm all for talking about the investors and the companies, but before we dive too deep, what about the users, the teachers, the administrators? All right, well, speaking from my teaching experience, it can be nice to have free products in your classroom for flexibility. And let me explain. So, yes, there's the data privacy concern, but if I trust a product... I can use it and then not feel like I've wasted my school's money if it turns out to be a dud or just not work at all. Well, would you feel differently if you had Superintendent Matt Akins in your district? My name is Matt Aiken. I am the superintendent of Piedmont City Schools in Piedmont, Alabama. We said, okay, this is what we want to do. This is the guide. But then within this framework, you have to tell us how it works in a 
you know, seventh grade math classroom. And and so we gave teachers and we give teachers the flexibility to if something's not working, throw it out. And and, and you don't have to wait till the end of the year and let's talk about it in June what didn't work. If it's not working, let's change it. I think it is exciting and empowering, but it's also it's it's also hard work. So the dedication of our teachers is really important. Oh, nice. Okay. So Aikens has set up a model where teachers have flexibility to try products and then get rid of them, whether they're free or licensed. That's definitely a freedom I can get behind because it removes that pressure of use it because we paid for it. But I wonder, is that the norm? At this point, no. It's not quite the norm. But in the EdSearch research, we found that more and more administrators are learning to lead a culture of iteration, experimentation, and constant change. For instance, Des Plaines District 62 has implemented, quote, innovation advocates who advocate for more than just the use of technology, but for that use to transform the teaching and learning experience. Meanwhile, at Con Lab schools, educators pivot their approaches every six to eight week term. Whoa, that's really fast. Yeah, that is a lot of iterating and pivoting. I think eventually you'll pivot so much you're at the same spot. But anyway, they're taking up and getting rid of tools left and right, which could be a good thing. It could be a good thing. And okay, stepping outside of the revenue question for a second. At the end of the day, whether a company decides to sell a product for a license, pitch a freemium tool, or just release everything for free, the ultimate hope is da-da-da-da, the tool is effective. Revenue will keep the company afloat and have it potentially be profitable, but is it good for kids? Well, we'll leave you with a final quote from Doug Robertson, who's a teacher with some very wise words. You can't just put them in front of the computer and be like, well, they're digital natives, so they'll be fine having to take the test on the computer. Uh, No, they won't, because there's all kinds of real specific skills that they have to know to take the test. They can't build a birdhouse. They, you, they, you got to teach them how to take a test on the computer. Some, some of them you got to teach them just the keyboard. Uh, you got to teach them how to use a mouse. You got to teach them how to use a mouse in specific ways. What do you got to click on? How do you drag? How do you highlight? How do you do all of these other things that the term digital native kind of assumes that they can do or that they can figure out? And yeah, they can figure it out. But if I'm testing them on it, I don't want them to have to figure it out. I want them to have to know it. So they can do the basic thing so that I can actually assess the learning that has to happen. Woo, that was a lot of info to take in. But wait, there's more! What? Whether you're a teacher, professor, entrepreneur, or venture capital baron, you can probably stand to learn something at South by Southwest EDU in Austin. And we've got two cheat sheets for you of the highlights of the conference at edsearch.com. One for K-12 and another one for higher ed. Check them out and we will see you there. And by the way, if you haven't had enough uh, at South by Southwest EDU, we're heading to Los Angeles on April 22nd to 23rd for our third annual LA Tech for Schools Summit. And we just can't wait. We also can't wait for crappy teacher professional development to disappear. So we decided to host a meetup in the City of Angels just to talk about it. It's on March 15th and the title is PD, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Join us or apply to give an night talk. All right, well, I'm exhausted. Well, you have a nap. I'm going to go to South by Southwest. That's great. I'll be sleeping, and I'll sleep on the flight there. Oh, okay. This is the Ed Surge Podcast.